A reading from the word of the Lord from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. All together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Reverend Mark Bates. You may know Mark as um, formerly the pastor of Village 7 Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs. He recently um, changed to a new role. Um, he's always been a very good friend of Denver Prez and to me um, in, the, in the leadership roles that we've had to undertake together. Um, but Mark is now the director of North American Operations for Mission to the World, which is our denominational, the PCA's mission organization. It's how we equip and send people to all corners of the world to share the good news. So, uh, Mark, thank you for being here. Hey, thank and you. Appreciate it. It's good to be here. And uh, just say, I, we've prayed for this church since it started. I think the church started about the same time we moved to Colorado. We moved here in 2007. I think the church started 2008, 2009, something like that. And uh, gotten to know Jason. When we were trying to revamp our children's ministry, we called uh, Jason and said, come help us out. And it uh, uh, was so helpful to us. And in fact, uh, and you can look at what we're, they're doing at Village 7 is based a lot on your input. So thank you so much. And then when I heard that Ronnie Garcia was coming here, I was, I was excited. I'd never had met Ronnie, I don't think, uh, but I knew of him, and of his, uh, uh, had, we had lots of friends in common. And so hearing that he was coming here as your, your new pastor last year, uh, just, just thrilled, and uh, we continue uh, to pray for, uh, for that. Although this week, uh, when it got so cold, I go, he's going back to Puerto Rico. I mean, he, he is moving. He is not going to stick around here for these sub-zero temperatures. So I was just glad he showed up today. Um, but as Jason mentioned, I'm with Mission to the World, and I do want to give a quick update on some things that are happening in Ukraine. Obviously, that is on uh, our hearts, and it is, um, uh, it's just been... You know, it's just been very sad and, and, and frankly, quite frightening. If you would like to get updates on what is happening there, if you go to our website on the, the homepage there, you can click, and there'll be uh, updates from people who are there. Uh, and it's uh, mtw.org. So three letters, mtw.org. Uh, it'll talk about what's happening with the crisis. In fact, today, uh, we're having, just for the, the central uh, mission to the world, divides the continent into to five different regions. For our central region, which is Texas and the Rocky Mountain region, uh, we're having a prayer gathering on Zoom. Uh, the thing is, though, it already filled up to 1,000 people. Uh, it's at 1 o'clock, and so they're adding another one at 2 o'clock. And, uh, uh, and so if you'd like to be part of that, you can text 66866, and you'll get a Zoom leak. Uh, text 66866, and um, so it's going to be 11 o'clock in Ukraine while they're giving this update. We'll have some missionaries from there. Uh, we uh, have 15 uh, families that are currently serving in Ukraine. Three of them are still in country. Uh, one of the couples is a couple that's actually from Colorado, and they are trying to get out. I don't know if they're out yet. If you've heard, it's about 48 hours to backup line at the border. Uh, it's, uh, it's very, very challenging. They were supposed to be on a train. I, I hope they've made it out. Two of our families are kind of waiting to see what is going to happen there. And so we encourage you to be, to be praying for them. 
Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's frightening for a number of reasons. Um, talking to one of our missionaries from Ukraine, he came back during COVID. He has a house there or thinks he has a house there. He doesn't know if you'll ever have that, his home uh, again. If uh, the Russians take over, whatever part of the country takes up, they take over. Uh, missionaries, of course, will be expelled, uh, will not be allowed back in. Many churches will be closed. Christians will be persecuted for their faith. And much of what we're doing in Eastern Europe centers there in Ukraine. And uh, so it is, um, it, it's, it's, it's very serious business for uh, the people that live there and for the cause of the gospel. So let me just take a moment now. And uh, again, I know we've already prayed for them, but let's pray once again uh, for the people of Ukraine. Father, we do come before you. We know that you are Lord over all. The nations rage, the nations uh, roar, but you are the one who is firmly in control of all things. Father, from our perspective, it's frightening because we can't understand what is happening. We don't see how uh, things can possibly be under control, but we do come with that faith and confidence in you that you are God and you are Lord over all. And so with that confidence that you're reigning, we pray for your people. We pray for peace. We pray, Father, that there uh, would not be more loss of life than has already happened. We pray for, for the freedom of the people of Ukraine. We pray, too, that the gospel would go out in Ukraine and Eastern Europe and throughout the world. And so we pray for your protection of the pastors, of the churches, of the families in those churches. Uh, we pray for, for all those, whether they know you or not, for their safety. And so, Lord, we pray that throughout all of this, somehow, Lord, we don't even know how you could answer this prayer, but we pray, O oh Lord, that you would make your name great and that people would see your glory and your majesty and your beauty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be asking, um, you know, why do we even send people to Ukraine or, or Japan or Middle East or places like that? Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously very dangerous to go to these regions. It's very expensive uh, to send missionaries to uh, these very parts of the world. And, uh, you know, there's uh, certainly plenty of needs here, right? I mean, you look around Denver or where I'm from, Colorado Springs. I don't know what your impression of Colorado Springs is, but uh, it's, it's less than, than 25% of the people go to any sort of church at all in Colorado Springs. And uh, Denver's about the same. And you're thinking, why are we spending so much money, so much effort to send people all these places of the world when there clearly are great needs here? Well, Psalm 117 that uh, was read just moments ago for us uh, answers that question for us. Before we look at it, just a couple of fun facts. Uh, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. And uh, it is two chapters away from Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It is also the 595th chapter. I did not count. I read that somewhere. Now, the reason that's important is because there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, which means this is the very middle chapter of the whole Bible. So at the very center of the Bible, we have this psalm, and I don't know if there's any theological significance to that, but I think there is, um, because it tells us uh, what is at the very center of the heart of God. And what the psalms were, the psalms were, uh, for the Old Testament people, were the, like their, their hymn book, their song book. So Psalm 117 was a chorus that the people would sing in worship. But I want you to notice something here. Notice to whom they're singing. You have the text there in your bulletin if you don't have your Bible with you. But notice to whom they're singing. It's a song of worship, but they're not singing it to God. They're singing it to the nations. 
And when it talks about the nations in the Old Testament, New Testament too, generally what that means is everybody other than Israel, everybody other than the covenant people of God. It is uh, uh, in the New Testament, the, the Greek word that is used for nations is the word ethne, which means, you know, we get the word ethnic. So it's for all the ethnicities, uh, all the cultures, all the, uh, all the language groups, all the people groups of the earth. And so here we find the people of God singing to all the various ethnicities of the world, and what they're doing is they're calling, inviting them uh, into worship. So why do we sing to the nations? So this is the Bible. We're called to sing to the nations, and the question is why. Well, the first reason we sing to the nations is because God loves us. We're singing about God's love for us. Look in uh, verse 1, it talks about God's people called to sing. Verse 2, it says, for great is his steadfast love towards us. We're singing because God's love towards us is steadfast. Now, that word for steadfast love is a word that shows up 250 times in the Old Testament. If there are only two Hebrew words you ever learn in your life, and that's about all I remember from seminary, um, two, one is shalom, which means peace, and the other one is this word, which is hesed, which means steadfast love. And by steadfast love, it, it means covenant loyalty or faithful love. It's, it's not just love, but steadfast love. It's not just kindness, but dependable kindness. It's a love that will never let us go. It's, often, it's oftentimes used uh, for the, a person in power coming to the aid of someone without power who's in dire straits. And so that's what it says, that God has this steadfast love towards us. Furthermore, it doesn't just say that God has steadfast love, but that his love is active. It says that God's love has prevailed over or protected us. Eugene Peterson says, I think it's beautiful, he says that God's love has taken over our lives. God's love has taken over our lives. Uh, God's love is not passive. God's not the grandfather sitting in the lazy boy, kind of looking back and just kind of smiling on his children. God is actively pursuing his people. Just as Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one, God goes after, he pursues with his love, his people. He tracks them down, he brings them back, he does not quit until he brings about their salvation. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus left his glory in heaven, he took on a human nature, he entered our world, came among the very people who despised him, we did not go looking for him, he came looking for us, and as Paul reminds us, it is while we were still sinners, while we, was, we were still enemies of God, that Christ died for us, and he made us, who once were his enemies, his friends, and even his children. And the second half of the verse, too, echoes the first. Just as his steadfast love has taken over our lives, it says the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. And this is, you know, again, a characteristic of God's love that is it shouldn't be unique, but it is unique, it, that it endures forever. We're used to love that, that does not last. We, we live in a world of, of divorce. We live in a world where friendships are broken, where you're betrayed. Uh, we live in a world where, where those you know, people that you might be very, very close to, suddenly, at some point, you're, you're divided. You're, you're no longer there. Somehow the love dies. But here it says that God's steadfast love endures forever. And that's because God's love is not a love that we have earned or deserved. It's a love that he's given to us by his grace and his grace alone. Now, if you didn't earn it, 
that means you cannot lose it. A number of years ago, a young couple came to me, uh, you know, about some issues in their marriage, and uh, the man, the man was your typical church boy. You know, he'd grown up in church, been in youth group, went to Christian college, followed all the rules, had the haircut, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, he was just, just Mr. Good Kid. And so now he's married. One morning, he and his wife are both getting up to go to work. And as they're getting up to go to work, he's on the couch. He's putting on his shoes and socks. She uh, kisses him goodbye, goes out the door. She comes home that night. He's still on the couch, one sock on, one sock off, and his eyes are swollen because he'd been crying all day. He had not moved from that spot. And in that moment, he confessed to her some things that he had done that he had never told anyone in his life. And, uh, and he just was broken. And when they came to me, he's in tears confessing all that he had done. He was so crushed. You know, he was so crushed and so, so ashamed, he could not look me in the eye. And so, you know, I'm a pastor. I, um, people come to see me. I, you know, I have to tell them the truth. You can't sugarcoat it. You have, to, you have to be honest with people. And so I had to tell them something that was very, very hard for him to believe. God loves sinners. Christ died for your sin. Your standing with God is not based on your performance, but is based on Christ's performance and that alone. And when he, now it's not like he hadn't heard this before, right? He, he had understood that. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood that he was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He knew all that stuff. But before, up until this point, he had never really been as honest about how sinful he was. In other words, before, he knew he was a sinner. Of course he's a sinner. Everybody sins. Everybody's done some bad things. But now he knew he was a sinner. He finally was honest about his sin. And because he was finally honest about his sin and began to see that God's grace was there even for him now, he could finally see the reality of God's grace in a way he had not before. See, you cannot understand God's grace unless you understand your own sin. That's why earlier in the service we talked about our sin. At the same time, though, listen, you have to be honest. You can't really be honest about your sin unless you really believe there's grace. If you, if you think that your standing before God is based on any way on your performance and on your merit, then you're going to have to sugarcoat all your sinfulness. You can't be honest. But, but when you do that, you rob yourself of God's grace. We have to understand God's grace to see our sin, and we have to fully see our sin in order to understand God's grace. You'll never know the depth of God's love until you admit your sin. And you'll never know your sin unless you see the depth of God's love. And it's the reality, the reality of this grace, of God's hesed, that we received from the Lord is why we go and sing to the nations. So here's why we go to the nations. We don't go to the nations with this bit of cultural imperialism and go to the rest of the world and say, you need to be like us. That's not what it is. Christianity is not a culturally imperialistic religion. We're not saying people have to adopt our culture. By the way, that is a difference between Christianity and Islam. In Islam, you can only worship truly in Arabic. You can only truly pray in Arabic. You can only read the Quran in Arabic. It, it is tied to a particular culture. Christianity is, is not entangled, sometimes we think it is, but in reality, it is not entangled with a particular culture. So we're not going to foreign cultures and say, be like us. Instead, what we're doing is we're going to foreign cultures and to, to people 
in our own culture, in foreign culture, wherever it might be, and we're saying, here is the grace of God that I've experienced in my life, and this grace is for you. That's why we go and sing to the nations. We have experienced God's love, and we want them to experience it as well. So we go to the nations because God loves us. Secondly, we go to the nations, we've hinted at this, because God loves them. Because God loves them. Now, this psalm is a call to worship for all the people of the world. It's a call to worship for the nations. And, uh, and we see this has always been God's plan. You remember, uh, or maybe you don't remember, but either way, back in the book of Genesis, after humanity rebelled against God, humanity's in rebellion, God came to one man named Abram, later changed to Abraham, and he said to him, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he entered into this covenant relationship with Abraham and Abraham's descendants who became the nation of Israel, the Jews. But God never, ever entered into this covenant relationship with the Jews and with Israel exclusively for them. It was always for the purpose of bringing salvation to all the nations of the earth. We see this in the very beginning. In Genesis 12, God says, And in you, that's Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In fact, God is so emphatic in this promise that salvation is coming to Israel for the sake of the world, that he repeats it five times in the book of Genesis. Genesis 12, then Genesis 18, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Genesis 22, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He repeats it to Isaac. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And to Jacob, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Are you catching a theme? You know, if God repeats it five times, in a short sum, we, we realize this is something that's true to the heart of God. God's plan all along was to bring salvation to all the ethnic groups, to all the cultures of the world. That's why when, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, Nicodemus, an Israeli Jewish Pharisee, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says this to him, God so loved Israel that he gave his only begotten son. That's not what he said. God so loved the world. God's plan always has been for the nations. So the mission of God's people from the very beginning is not only to worship God, but also to invite the nations to worship God. That's why Psalm 117, we're not only singing to God, we sing to the nations. Now, let me make an obvious point. For us to sing to the nations we have to go to the nations. They're not gonna hear us singing in this room. By the way, your music is awesome. I just have to say that. But they're not gonna hear it unless we go to them. They're not gonna hear it, and so we must go to them. And what Psalm 17, 117 implies, Jesus makes explicit in Matthew 28. Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Now notice this. That verse is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not to make disciples. People often miss that. They think the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. The mission of the church, there are many, many things the church does, 
But all of it ultimately aims at this one goal to disciple all the nations so that the whole earth is a temple to the Lord. So the whole earth is worshiping him. Uh, we see that even in Jesus' commission in Acts chapter 1 where he says we'll be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. The mission of the church, the mission of the church is to take the gospel to the nations. There are a group of people uh, named the Yazidi who uh, have lived in Syria and Iraq. Uh, most of the Yazidi adhere, adhere to this traditional Yazidi religion, which is a combination of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and some other things mixed in there. It's a very syncretistic. Uh, they don't worship Jesus as, uh, as Lord. Uh, but because they are not true Muslims, uh, the Muslims consider them infidels. So when ISIS took over those regions of Syria and Iraq, they began to persecute them. Uh, they uh, began to abuse the young girls. Uh, they slaughtered the families. And so the people had to flee, and they are now in refugee camps, many of them in refugee camps in Kurdistan. In uh, one of those refugee camps was a woman doctor. She was an Egyptian doctor. She happened to be Presbyterian. She was affiliated with uh, one of our churches in Egypt. And she was there caring for these women in the refugee camp. And as she did care for them, uh, she just began to tell them about the love of Jesus. Now, she was not there as a missionary. She's just there as a Christian who loves Jesus. So she began sharing with them about the love of Jesus. And soon, some of these Yazidi women come, start coming to faith in Christ. Well, also in the camp at that time is, a, is an American man who's over there, again, not a missionary, but he's over there uh, doing some work among the refugees. And he also happens to be a Presbyterian from one of our sister churches here in the States. And so she gets together with this man, and they begin to start forming Bible studies. Now, the Yazidi, they're 0.11% Christian of the Yazidi. And yet, suddenly, they have these people who are coming to faith in Christ, and they started forming these Bible studies. And so then they had some of the pastors from Egypt coming over to help train them. But the problem is they can't, you know, they don't live there. And so here we have these people who are coming to know the Lord. They're engaged in Bible studies. And they're saying, please help us. Send someone to help us, to disciple us, to teach us the Bible, because we want to know. And so we need people to go. But as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here we have a place where 0.11% of the people are Christians, and they're asking, asking, will someone come and tell us more about what Christ has done? And so we, we go to them because God loves the Yazidi people. And so we go and we sacrifice to serve because God so loved the world and if God so loved the world, then the people of God are called to love the world as well. And so we sing to the nations because God loves us. We sing to the nations because God loves them. And we sing to the nations because we love God. Because we love God. Because we love God, we want him to receive the glory that is due his name. And that's, that is the motivation ultimately behind this psalm is that the nation should come and sing to God because God is so good and so beautiful. He deserves the praise of the nations. He deserves to be worshiped by everyone. It's, 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 he, you know, he's magnificent. So people around the world have this terrible misunderstanding 
about who God is, about who Jesus is, about his beauty and his glory. And so what we're doing is going around and we want to set the record straight. God, no, this is someone worthy of your worship and of your praise. And so, so God deserves the praise of the nations. And when God is not worshiped, it's unjust. One of my neighbors, he's moved away now, but one of my former neighbors won an Olympic gold medal in wrestling. You know, I'm thinking if I won an Olympic gold medal in wrestling, I'd walk around town, you know, like right here going, people go, what's that thing? Oh, just my goal. You know, uh, but he, he was very humble about it. Well, when he first was in the Olympics, he actually won the silver. And uh, they had the award ceremony. He got the silver and someone else got the gold. Well, it turned out that the person who got the gold had cheated, had been using steroids. Any guess what country? Um, and, uh, and so... So, uh, you know, so he got the silver, the other guy got the gold, and later he got the award. And I, and I thought, well, that's cool, you got the gold. And then I thought, well, wait a second. When they had the award ceremony, he got to stand on the top of the podium? He said, yeah. Said, and when they had the award ceremony, they, they played the Russian national anthem, not the you know, U.S. national anthem. He said, yeah. He goes, you got chipped. That's not right. That's not right. He goes, Mark, I won the gold, you know. But I'm still thinking, that's not right. It's not, I mean, to me, that's unfair that the cheater gets the glory, and the guy who's the real winner doesn't get the glory that he deserves. Now, if we're, you know, we're passionate about people getting the glory they deserve, in those cases, shouldn't we be passionate about God receiving his glory? When someone gets the glory that belongs to someone else, that's a form of theft. If someone gets credit for your work, it's not right. In the same way, we should be passionate to see that God gets the glory that he is due because we love God. We want people to know how glorious he is. And not only do we love God, but when you love something, you enjoy it. Like, you know, if you, you know you lo when you love something, I love chocolate, which means I enjoy chocolate, right? And when you love something, you enjoy it. But not only do you enjoy it, but when you enjoy something, C.S. Lewis points out that when you enjoy something, we find more joy in sharing that joy with others. For example, you're at a restaurant and you eat something and it's really good. What do you do? You go, oh, this is so good. You've got to try this. You find a good book. You recommend it to a friend. You, now, whatever it might be, when you find that you enjoy it, your joy is magnified by sharing that joy. I have three great passions. Probably more, but three, my top three. I love my Savior. I love my family. And I love Krispy Kreme donuts. And, uh, and sometimes it's not in that order. And, um, and so one time, a number of years ago, we were living in Orlando. Uh, we were doing a children's event, and, and I heard this woman talking to another person there. We were all work, you know, cleaning up afterwards, and the woman said she'd never had a hot Krispy Kreme. I mean, I dropped what I was doing, and I went over and I said, you've never had one? She goes, no, it just doesn't sound that good. I go, no. No, she goes, I just don't like donuts. I go, no, 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 no. This, this is not like those cold things you get in the grocery store. This isn't a Dunkin', you know. This, this is like fried dough, goodness, bathed in sugar, and, and it's hot. And when it comes off the conveyor belt, it just melts in your mouth. And she, she, just, she was unimpressed. And I'm going, look, if you go now, I know that they have the hot ones right now till 10 o'clock. Don't ask me. Well, you know how I knew. Um, and if you go now, you'll get one. Like, I will drive you there. It is a mile away. I, I mean, I am passionate about this. Now, I'm, you know, why am I so passionate? Because I knew if she tried it, she would be in love, right? Why is it that we don't have the passion 
about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know if people try hot Krispy Kreme, they're going to love it. Do we have the same assurance that we can go to people and say, taste and see that the Lord is good? Taste and see that the Lord is good, that he is as sweet and delightful as we believe that he is. And so, uh, when we find our joy in God, we want others to share that joy. Oftentimes, if we find that we, we aren't excited or longing for others to know, it may be the root problem is not that we're not obedient to the Great Commission. It could be that we've forgotten the sweetness of our Savior. And the more in love with him we are, the more we delight to share it with others. Thomas Manton said, the more you believe God to be gracious to you, the more you will want to please him. So as those who know the love of God, those who are assured of a sweetness, you know God loves you, you know God loves the world, and you have a love for God, let me ask you to do one thing, just, just one thing. Will you pray and ask God to show you how you can be involved in his mission to the nations? I'm not asking you to give, Certainly, there are many ways you can give. I'm not asking you to go. Uh, all I'm asking you to do is, is to pray. Pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? This fall, I was talking to a woman uh, who uh, said that she refused to pray that prayer. She said, I'm not going to say, God, you can do with me what you want. He might take me up on it, right? She said, I'm not going to, and she's literally said, I'm not going to pray that. I'm not going to pray that. And, and her thought was, if I pray and say, God, do with me whatever you want to do, then God is going to take advantage of me and send me someplace I don't want to go. What does that tell you? By the way, anybody else ever thought that way? Anybody else not thought that way? What does that tell you about our view of God? That we think that we go before God and say, here's my life, take my life, let it be, that God's going to go, aha, I got you now, and I'm the kind of God that takes advantage of, of people, and I use people in the negative sense of that word, use people. But is that the kind of God that we worship? The God that we worship is not a God who uses and abuses his children. He's a God who's a father who delights in his children. He's a God, his father, who wants what is best for his children. He's a God who sends his son, who Jesus came and willingly gave his life out of love for us. That's the kind of God we serve. Jesus said this about, about God. He said, if you, know, if you were to go before your father and ask him for fish, is he going to give you a snake? Or if your children come to you, your child comes to you, and they ask you for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a rock? Now, if we who are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to those who call upon him? And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I ask you to believe that God is your Father and that he loves you. And if that is true, if that is true, then you can pray before him and say, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will give whatever you want me to give. I will do whatever you want me to do. Will you pray that prayer? Do you believe that God loves you, that God loves the world, and that you truly love God? And if so, we can pray that prayer as an act of faith. Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll give whatever you want me to give because I trust you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we remember that your love endures forever. 
and because it is true that your love endures forever, we can pray full of faith, Lord, here's my life, let it be. We can offer it to you and say, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid, but I know I'm afraid because I, I just don't trust you, and yet, Lord, you've proven yourself trustworthy. You've given your son for me. And so as an act of faith, O Lord, fear and trembling though I might be, I pray, O Lord, here's my life. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do, Lord, whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. I'll give whatever you want me to give because, O Lord, your love endures forever, and I trust you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.